We're going to continue this morning in the Word together. I'm going to read this verse with you this morning. This is what the Word says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It's going to be our core thought today. We're glad to have you with us this morning. This was a tough day. Uh, I don't know how it was for you. It was a tough day to come to church. This morning there was some ice on some of the cars. Did you guys have that experience? Uh, today is Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if you guys know that or not. <laughs> yeah? So a lot of people have uh, plans uh, to watch the Super Bowl today. And so it's just a tough day to justify, what, am I going to go to church today? Am I going to make that effort? And, you know, today's one of those, like, I think today's one of those roll over and, you know, hit the snooze button. Anybody do that this morning? And temptation to just stay in bed. That's all right. Uh, it's one of those days. Um, I want to talk to you this morning. This is a, a one-off uh, sermon. We're going to start a new series called The Gospel at Work next week, which I'm really excited about. It's based on a, a book by the same title. And uh, it's a great look at how we follow Jesus every day of our lives and that there's no kind of hierarchy of following Christ, that we are all called to be obedient followers. So that's next week. If you want to come check that out with us, it'll be four weeks. Uh, but today we're going to talk about this uh, idea of game time. And I'm excited about Super Bowl for a couple reasons. I, I, you know, I don't know. Does anybody care who's in the Super Bowl this year? Anyone? A few people? I, the Olden Camps, I don't have any idea why you care. <laughs> Thank you. A few of you care. A few of you care who wins the Super Bowl. I love Super Bowl because not only is it an awesome football game, and it's, that's cool, right? And then they have to do the commercial thing. I, I'm sure some of you guys are into the commercial thing. What, what commercial? You watch the commercials and ignore the game, maybe, you know? Eat during the game and watch the commercials. Uh, many times we gather for... But one of the reasons I get so excited about Super Bowl is because it's a chance to hang out with people. It's like one of those communal events we talk about where, where we just get together with friends and family and just hang out and have a good time. And that's kind of what's on my heart today as I think about... Uh, what we do as followers of Jesus and how we interact with others on days like Super Bowl Sunday, like what that looks like. And many times we can kind of get ourselves in a trap as followers of Jesus to, to think that he has nothing to say or nothing to do with how we, we interact in those environments with one another, how we look on, on days uh, like game days with our friends and family. I, I love it because it's a chance to have a good time together. I mean, just have a good time. And, and this is funny, and we're going to talk about maybe why this is later, but this is funny because sometimes we have a hard time just having a good time as followers of Jesus, which is ridiculous, I think. But it's true. Many of us struggle just to have a good time when we're hanging out with friends. How do we do that? One of the questions you might ask as a follower of Jesus, and you might hear this if you've been in the church, someone will say to you, you should look different. Right? We just sang a song that said the same thing, you know? Not, not like the world. We don't want to be like the world. And yet sometimes we, we look different for the sake of looking different. Should we look different or act different? I'll tell you a brief story. I, I was a, a couple years ago now, so you know, bear with me, but I was getting up at 5 in the morning to do a workout thing at um, Quarry Rec Center. It's called Boot Camp. Anybody know what Boot Camp is? Whew, yeah, <laughs> Carrie, whew. yeah, it's brutal, it's so hard, at five in the morning too, so everything's hard at five in the morning, right, I mean, nothing's easy at five in the morning, and I'm there, I'm working, but one of my favorite things about it, and you guys, you know, I mean, you guys are awesome, and I love you guys, but 
one of the cool things about being at boot camp was no one knew I was a pastor there. It was crazy. So not only was it 5 o'clock and I was bleary-eyed, but no one cared who I was. Everyone stunk. Nobody showered before that class. It was gross. And it was really gross because it was a kinesthetic uh, body class. So that meant that you didn't use any free weights. You used one another. So like you would like, you know, bench press one another and be sweating on each other. It's just so gross. It's, oh, get me out of here, you know. People you don't know. But it was so fantastic because no one treated me any different than anyone else. It was such a, an, a refreshing thing. And I was in that class for, I don't know how long it went. I, I was in it for two seasons, so we were in the second season. And then we were walking to the stairwell one day to do the stairwell runs, which are oh, just torture. And wall sits. Who knew sitting on a wall was so hard? Brutal, you know? So hard. And we're going, and the instructor says, because there was a couple uh, from the church that were in that class also, and word had gotten out that I was a pastor, right? And, and I didn't know this. And so I come in, and the instructor comes over, and she says, hey, is it true you're a pastor? And I'm like, oh, the gig's up, you know? And I said, well, I mean, and I'm not ashamed of that, guys, but I said, well, yeah, I'm a pastor. Where at? Family Bible Church, me at middle school. Oh, and you couldn't believe how quickly everything changed. All of a sudden, nobody cussed anymore. I mean, it was amazing, <laughs> you know? No one, you know, everyone kept their eyes up here, you know what I'm saying? None of the guys were making comments about the other women in the class to me. Everything changed. And I was like, ah, why? But that's how it is sometimes, isn't it? Because you have a certain behavior you do around a certain group of people, and that's what you do. And so all of a sudden you find out, oh, my gosh. I remember even in high school, and some of you high school students are here this morning, even in high school I had a friend of mine who was a believer in Jesus, and we would be in a circle telling jokes, and there would be a friend who would tell a really funny, dirty joke, and my friend would walk up, and they would stop telling the joke, which was so frustrating to me because I wanted to hear the joke. So we were like, dude, go away for a minute. He's going to finish this joke, then you can come back and hang out with us. Why? Because he, when he would show up, things would change. Some of you, I've had this conversation with you, and you said, but that's a good thing, Bill. We're to be light in this world, not, not you know, in darkness. We're to be different. And I, I understand what you're saying there, but the question is, what drives that? And are there any dangers in our getting comfortable with that kind of environmental change? You know what I mean? Is there any danger in that for us? Today I want to talk to you about two things we need to defend against, and you'll appreciate some of the artwork today. It's, it's in honor of Super Bowl Sunday. Two things we should defend against, and one thing we need for offense, if we're going to be authentic followers of Jesus, real deal followers of Jesus. So I'm going to ask if you would pray with me as we get into the Word, and we're going to spend some time in Galatians today, so pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have to worship you this morning. You are worthy of praise you created everything by your will. In fact, every person in this room has breath because you ordained it. You breathed into us life. You brought us forth from our mother's womb, and we are here today because you have drawn us to you. In spite of the weather and in spite of the alarm clock, you've drawn us here today together. I pray we would maximize this time with you, Father, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what you'd have for us today, that we've come as millions of people have come over the years to seek you, to know you, and that we would stake a claim today, not in who we are, but in who you are, and indeed in who you say we are. May we live in that place. Would you do your work in our lives? As much as we're able, Father, can we cast off the things of the world we bring in with us and just celebrate a time of being with you and listening to you and engaged in your word. 
Um, bless us. Uh, teach us what you'd have us know today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do some work out of Galatians today. I hope you kept your finger there in the Bible. Whatever. We're going to be working through Galatians a little bit. Um, some things I want to talk about before we jump in to Galatians is, um, so just after this, you'll remember last week we actually talked in Galatians because just after this passage I read you this morning, Paul talks about life in the Spirit, right? Works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit and walking around in the Spirit of God. But that comes at the end of this letter to the church in Galatia. And before that, he was kind of making a case for some problems he saw in the church in Galatia. So just before that, he's very concerned with some patterns that he's heard or seen developing in the church. And he dearly, dearly loved the church. And so he was writing this letter uh, with that in mind. But I want to spend a few minutes here in, in, with that idea that Paul comes down in verse 5. Now, we talked last week about how we're, we walk in the Spirit. But he comes down in verse 5 about that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. That we, we should never, ever forget that. I would say that when Paul writes this letter, that he comes down, there's lots of kind of legal almost arguments about why the gospel is needed and how the law fails. But here he says, we're, we're set free for freedom's sake. And I already told you, I confessed to you that sometimes we act like those who aren't free in Christ. We act as if we're those who are more restrained than, than those in the world. But Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And then look, he says, then, because of that, stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And this actually is, is kind of the summary, the summary argument against everything he says of the five, because he says, the church has begun to slip into some broken form of following Jesus that denies freedom and reburdens the people of God with things that should not burden them. That's his argument here. Don't slip back into the yoke of slavery, he says to the church. I would say to you this morning that that's a tendency that we, we still have. Um, there's a tendency we still have to do that, to slip back into the burden of um, the yoke of slavery. And it's not of God, and we, we, shouldn't, we should be guarded against it. See, the truth is that the gospel says that we are free from many things. And we have a cross up here, and we have crosses in most churches. And if, if there's not a cross, they're talking about the cross because it's what, it's the whole point of the gospel. You say, well, well what are we free from in Christ? The first and foremost thing we always talk about, we're free from the price of sin. That's, Jesus came to give his life so that you and I could be free from the burden of paying the price for our sin. There's a right requirement of payment, and every one of us has it. The Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. And so in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and everything we do as a church, remember that this price paid removes the burden from us that we don't have to pay the price for our sin anymore. And that in and of itself is freedom. Freedom from sin, from the price of sin in our lives. But there's even more than that because you'll remember, and Paul is a great example of this, there's a freedom from false religion, or freedom from religious things, you know, this kind of religiosity, or I don't know what you would say, you know, this kind of thing where you're, it's, it's a man-made system, and it, it, it's, trying, it's trying to get to God, but it falls short. And the gospel says we're free from that, that in Christ we have an actual relationship with God, that in him we have a ready, present near to us Savior who is interceding on our behalf. And like last week, and in him, we have the Holy Spirit living in us 
to actually do his will in, this, in our life, to be obedient to him, to completely change us and, and help uh, share the gospel with others. We have this gift, this freedom. So we have a freedom also from self-righteousness, from having to be good enough or act right or do the right things or dress the right ways. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, and I'm, we're, we're going to go back and see Paul gets on all these same issues. We have this freedom. I want you to turn back with me, if you would, to um, the very beginning of the book, Galatians chapter 1. I want to share with you something that's unique about the Apostle Paul. You know we have the synoptic gospels, right? Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those are the, the eyewitness testimonies to Jesus walking the earth and miracles he did, the way he lived, the way he died, and the way he was raised again. It's our testament to what Christ has done and the reality of who Jesus is. We see Paul was different. And the, the amazing thing about Paul is that he wrote much of the New Testament himself to the churches. And so we see why Paul was so different in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And this is what he says to the church. I want you to know, this is to the brothers and sisters in Galatia, I want you to know that the gospel I preach is not something that men made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. If you don't know why Paul is such a unique figure in the church history, it's because up to that point, it had been Jesus with a disciple or Jesus with this person. And, and there were some things that happened in the book of Acts. You can read it, you know, Acts 10, where um, God shows up to people who are, who are not directly with him, and then he sends the apostles out, and they get there, and they realize God's already here. I mean, so God's always moving. But you remember, Paul had this experience where God revealed himself to Paul, that Jesus himself revealed himself to Paul. And so Paul here in this letter, he says, I want to remind you that it was not a man-made construct that I was convinced of. You'll remember that Paul was a Pharisee. He had had this kind of religiosity, this religion thing down pat. And in that religious state, God knocked him to his knees and said, that is not good enough. You are getting it wrong. You're zealous, but for the wrong things. I say that's so important because that reality, because, you know, I was thinking today about who was the original descendants from those who first followed Jesus, you know? Did the guy who taught me or the girl who taught me about my faith, did they hear it right from the other person and right from the other person and the game of telephone back 2,000 years to Peter or to James? Do I have that lineage where I can say, that's how I know? How do you know you're saved? How do you know you have a relationship with God? How do you know you have eternal life with him? Is it because I can trace my lineage back and, oh, yeah, my dad knew and his dad knew and, oh, and I know I have the right faith. Or, you know, not your biological but your spiritual parents. Yeah, the people that influenced me. I'm telling you, church, the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus is that God reveals himself to you. And it's not that you adopt your parents' religion it's not that you, you studied it long enough that you figured it out. It's not that you got all the right check boxes in the right spots and you're like, I unlocked the God box for myself. But it's that God shows up in his mercy and grace and saves us. Revelation from Jesus. You see, that's different altogether. And whenever I think of this church, and when I think of you, and I do think of you often, and I pray for Family Bible Church, and the things that I pray is, God, would you give us a faith that could not be stolen from us? 
Would you give those gathered a faith that man could not take away because man did not convince us it was right, but you revealed yourself to us in our hearts? Would you give us a faith that when the hard time comes and we think, oh God, I'm going to let go, I'm not going to hang on, we realize that we've not been hanging on to him, but he is hanging on to us. It's different. It's authentic faith. And Paul right to the church in Galatia, he says, that's what I have. And then he says in a moment, that's what you have as well. Settle for nothing less. Settle for nothing less. And I would say to you today that if you are here and you don't have that, press on. Seek his will. Seek his face. Don't settle for a man-made construct, a wise teaching Settle for nothing less than God himself and Jesus Christ. It's not that he's hard to be found. He's pleased to answer this prayer. Well, this is the the foundation that Paul has in his own faith life. And this is the, the faith that I desire us to have as a church. Each individual here and all of us together. A fundamental faith in Christ. So what could possibly then in this context where Paul had preached this gospel and they had heard it and received the good news of Jesus and they had been set free from their sin, what could possibly mess up life for the church in Galatia? Why would he be so concerned he'd write a letter to them to intercede? I want you to read with me in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Paul begins to outline the problems that he sees. It's no small thing where he starts. Listen to the word. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Paul's telling a bit of history here, and he's saying, I was preaching the gospel before I ever met Peter and James. I was sharing the good news with everyone I had met. before I, And then finally he went and met with them at Jerusalem, to ensure that he was preaching the right gospel, to ensure himself and them. Look at verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. I don't know about you, but these aren't words I would expect to see in Scripture. You know, you think about churches or St. Paul and St. Peter, you know? You think about the people that we, James, the half-brother of Jesus, we look at this and we think, these are the guys that got it, right? And, and Paul says, I opposed Peter to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. What in the world could Paul have seen in Peter that he would say, you're clearly wrong in this? It's obvious that you're making a mistake. Here it comes in verse 12. Before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. You see that? Peter used to eat. By the way, I mentioned Acts 10. That was Peter that was sent to the Gentiles in Acts 10, Cornelius' house. And Peter had this righteousness thing down. And God says, don't call the things that I call clean, unclean. He gave Peter a vision. That, and, and Cornelius and his whole household were saved, had received the Spirit of God. So Peter knew this was a reality. But listen to what he says. When certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles before they came. But when those men arrived, he began to draw back 
and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, and so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. The first thing we have to defend ourselves against as the church of God is hypocrisy. We have to. Now, if you're like me, I listen to people who are outside the church and who kind of criticize the church, and this is their one complaint. They're hypocrites. And, and I know it's wore out. I mean, it's so wore out, I'm over it. I'm not talking about that, that people outside. I'm talking about us, church. We have to guard against hypocrisy in the church. In the church. I want to show you a few things that mark this hypocrisy. And we're going to talk about how maybe it happens. Because you go, man, I, I'm not a hypocrite, right? I mean, nobody wants to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I know you don't want to be a hypocrite. What did it say that, that he did? From Scripture, what does it say? Before certain men came to James, he used to eat with Gentiles. That means he did some things as a believer in Jesus that he was totally comfortable doing. He knew that he had the right to do it. He knew it was not offensive to God. He had no problem doing this. And in this case, it happened to be he was eating with people who were not like him, eating with the Gentiles, the people that Paul felt called to preach to, Right? But then what does it say next? When these men came, when they arrived, he began to separate himself from the Gentiles. Do you see what happened? When these guys showed up, all of a sudden Peter started going, wait a minute. I don't hang out with people like you. I'm nothing like people. I'm like those guys and ladies over here. And he began to pull himself away, Right? He began to separate himself from those that he had been given absolute freedom to be with, to minister to, to love and to serve, to teach, to invite in. That's powerful. And I don't know if you see the similarity there, the parallels there, but that's kind of what it was like. It's like my buddy, you know, when he showed up. There's like this thing that happens in our circle, you know, and we're hanging out, we're having a good time. And, and if I could just talk for a minute about this idea of separating our lives, disintegrating our lives, to where with this people group we're like this, and at church we're like that, and over here we're the other way, and we kind of try to keep all these things, these balls in the air. Who do I have to pretend to be today? Who do I have to pretend to please today? Paul says that Peter, man, Peter, let's remember, this is Peter who got out of the boat with Jesus. This is Peter who was forgiven by Jesus for denying him three times. You know, this is Peter who said, feed my sheep. Jesus gave him the commission. That Peter, that guy who had seen Cornelius and all this miraculous stuff, the Holy Spirit had descended, that guy was, had this issue where whenever certain people show up, he would back away. I'm not sure I can be seen with people like you anymore. That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy, church. And we have a tendency to do it as well. Peter, as a believer in Christ, changed his behavior because of who was in the room. That's hypocrisy. Peter drew back and separated himself. And then look in verse 12 with me. Why? What's driving Peter? Why is he doing this? Look, because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. That's the guys who showed up and changed everything. You, that's good, isn't it? I mean, those guys showed up and Peter acted more holy. <laughs> you know? No, no, no. Because he was afraid of them. He was afraid of them. 
Who should Peter fear? God. Who should Peter be concerned with? Jesus. Who should Peter be obeying? The Holy Spirit. And what does any of those three have to do with the guys who walked in the room? Nothing. Nothing. He was afraid of men. And that's hypocrisy. And that's hypocrisy. And then look in verse 13. When Peter did it, you see, Peter's the leader, and when Peter did it, others joined right in. It seemed good. Peter's right. We shouldn't be hanging out with these people. What were we thinking? Boy, that was close. We almost made a mistake with these guys. You guys sit over there, and we'll sit over here. I mean, think about it, right? An absolute separation of peoples over what? An old law. Over something that Christ died to overcome, to go beyond. And they separated themselves. Others, others went along with it. Hypocrisy in our midst. Not only that, but then he says in verse 13 also, even Barnabas was led astray. This began to affect his actual faith in Christ. It began to actually change what he thought was important. And this is what can happen in the church as well. We can begin to think that we can begin to be hypocritical. We can begin to say, well, we're not like those people. We cannot identify. We can regulate and pull ourselves back. We can have our own, our own parties. Do you know what I mean? We can have our own safety areas where, where we, we're, no, everyone's here and it's all safe. You know what I mean? Uh, no, no danger here except hypocrisy, you know. Oh, come on, church. No, that's not what the gospel was for. It was for freedom. It was, it was not to indulge a simple nature. I'm not saying that at all, but it was not to hunker down in a room and just wait and hope that Jesus, you know, come on, keep us all safe. That's not what a call was. Don't be hypocritical. I mean, it's a real thing in church. It's a real thing in life. A couple of ideas. I think that there was not an authentic relationship that he had with those who showed up, did he? There was something from their past or something from from Peter that was just so ingrained that when they showed up, he had to act different. He had to pretend to be someone he's not. This can happen sometimes if you think about it like at high school reunions, right? Uh, everybody starts to act a little better, you know? Or maybe if you see an ex, you know, an ex-girlfriend, an uh, ex-spouse, whatever, you try to, I'm great, <laughs> you know? You're not great. <laughs> I've been hanging out with you for days. You're not great. <laughs> oh, yes, I am. That's my ex over there. <laughs> I fake it. You know, um, pretend to be someone we're not, uh, be boisterous. Check this out. Uh, hypocrisy properly defined, there's a couple ways to define it. One way, and you know this already, is to act, to, to act, to pretend, uh, to be someone you're not. Fair enough. I found something else interesting, though. It also means to willingly stand under the judgment of others, to willingly submit yourself to the judgment of others. To allow other people to judge you unrighteously. Not righteously like Jesus does. Not righteously like God the Father does when he looks at us in Christ. But to have them judge you unfairly or unrighteously. And all of a sudden, from that willingness to stand under a false pretense to pretend, well, you're a Christian, right? You have to act this way. I can't tell you how many times people try to manipulate me because I'm a Christian. Or worse yet, because I'm a pastor. How would you act? The pastors don't act that way. What are you talking about? I'm a follower of Jesus. He'll straighten this out. I'm not saying, you know what I mean? 
Don't get caught in that box. You go around. Well, how should I act when I'm with my family at the Super Bowl party? How about you act like yourself, a follower of Jesus? But I have to set an example. I have to raise the standard. I have to show them what it looks like. I have to make sure that I'm perfect so that they know that I'm perfect and they can be perfect too. What is that? Whose gospel is that? To be a hypocrite means to hide our true motivations, to pretend. And here's the kicker. And this is why uh, we need to be so rooted in that belief that the gospel is for us and that it's from God himself is that to be a hypocrite is the opposite of being authentic. It's the exact opposite of being authentic. It's the exact opposite of being real with each other and real with other people. Well, if they see our flaws, well, they do. Well, I don't know. They'll think you're a sinner like they are, and they'll think that the gospel's for them too, and they'll, they'll, then you'll have to actually believe that, that you're, you're saved in spite of yourself. Be authentic. Don't, don't be a hypocrite. So here, here, hypocrisy, we have to defend against it, right? Look at Galatians 3 with me. First few verses in, in Galatians 3, our second point comes. Paul says this, You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? That's a powerful verse right there. Verse 4. Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it was really for nothing, does God give you this, His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you've heard? This is the second thing we have to guard against in the church, and it's legalism. He says, how did you find freedom? Was it from following the rules? Do you remember the oppression of the rules? I mean, were any of you raised in a church where you were taught that there's just rules, that's all they are is rules, rules, rules? Do this, don't do that. Walk the line, pull, you know, just don't, don't, and, and for heaven's sakes, don't contradict the pastor, you know what I mean? And don't ask questions. I mean, did anyone get sick of that when you're growing up? Then why in the world, if you've been set free in Christ, would you go back to that kind of slavery? Why would we let ourselves do that? Paul says, what, where did you find freedom from? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And we see this in the church. You believe the gospel? Good. Only a few more things you've got to do. <laughs> you know? What? You have the freedom in the Spirit? Good. Only a couple more rules to obey, and you'll have it made. <laughs> you know? Um, I'm not trying to minimize, like, I mean, I know there's the whole thing of sanctification, but I, I want, man, come on. We can't be legalistic. We can't be legalistic. We, we need to um, continue to believe. This legalism affects us so much because we begin to self-regulate on things that God never calls us to self-regulate on. There's just more man-made rules. And the problem with it is, and someone has well said, and I don't know who said this, but they said it's Jesus plus theology. Jesus plus this, and Jesus plus that. And Jesus will a couple more things, and then you'll be okay. And Jesus isn't enough, because you need more than Jesus to be saved, or to be, to be holy, to be sanctified. You need more than Jesus. But that's not the gospel. The gospel says that it's rooted in Jesus, 
that he's the fulfillment of our promise, that he's a manifestation of God's best intention for us in our lives. And woe to us when we add law after the fact. Woe to us when we add law. Look at um, verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Formerly, check this out, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature were not gods. That means you were believing false things, all the, the rules. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. He says, why, why go back to that? And I want to say again, it's a risk for the church that we would go back to that, the legalism, that we would, yeah, I know, and we would even say, yeah, I know you got to believe in Jesus, but then there's just a few more things. Many times legalism is about us being comfortable, and it's nothing to do with the gospel. It's about you and me being comfortable with ourselves and others around us. Paul makes it clear then in this text, and you can read there, he makes this really great argument that no one's justified by the law. That the law doesn't justify anyone. In fact, it, it drives us to Christ. The good of the law is that it presses us toward Jesus himself. Many of us then over time will believe the gospel ourselves, but then we'll slowly fall back into a legalistic mindset. And that's the danger. It's, it's, not like, it's not like it. You know, we instantly say, oh, I'm enforcing law. It creeps in around us, and we need to be guarded against it. We need to defend against legalism in the church, ourselves and that of others. Another thought on this. Turn to chapter 6. We're going to come back in a moment, but turn to chapter 6 for a second. Why would anyone even, why was legalism appealing to anyone? What, why, why is it? Paul answers this in 6. In, in chapter 6, verse 12, he says this. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. Now, I know if you read the book of Galatians, you'll say it's a lot about circumcision, okay? But I want to say to you that any justification outside of Christ, you can replace for circumcision. You can just take that word out and put another word in. It's any legal um, righteousness we believe we have apart from Jesus, you can insert there. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are first trying to compel you to be circumcised. So it's for, they want you to be fill in the blank for their sake. The only reason they do this, Paul says, is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. That's why we want legalism. Because if you can get me to act right and I can get you to act right and we can get our kids to act right and our friends to act right, we don't have to deal with the truth that the cross is a message that God died for those who aren't acting right to save us from our sin. We don't have to deal with that. And I would also say we don't have to deal with the embarrassment of the cross because we can all of a sudden say, no, I, I, I do have it figured out. I got enough. And we don't have to say, no, I'm a sinner too. And I need Jesus in my life. What's your hope moving forward? Jesus in my life. Who's preserved you in the past? Jesus in my life. It all, it, it all comes back to him. And if we are willing to settle for legalism, or we're willing to be hypocritical in our faith, we empty the cross of its power. We're ashamed of the work that Jesus did to save us from our sins. And woe to us. 
if we ever, and we do, right? If we ever try to avoid the pain of the cross of Jesus. Through which the world has been crucified to me, he says, and I to the world. Look at verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. What God has done in our lives. That's the power of the gospel for us. The other thing it says is this. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, he says in 13. But look, yet they want you to be circumcised. Why? So that they may boast about your flesh. <laughs> so just a second. Why do I teach law to my kids? Because I want to be proud of my kids. I want to be proud of my kids. It's not really about me wanting my kids to be saved necessarily. I want my kids to be saved. I'm going to talk about that. But that, it's about me, right? My kids act a fool. I'm embarrassed. It's, it's me. It's my, what are you doing? Stop it, you know? Why do we, why we want others around us? Well, a friend, this is my friend, and your friend acts like an idiot. You know what I mean? Why are you, because it's about you. But you act right, you know? Talk through your teeth at people. Stop it! You know what I mean? Why? That's us trying to enforce a law because it's about us. It's about me. They want to boast about your flesh. They want to, look how nice she is. Look how good she is. Look how well we've done. Have you heard the gospel? Have you heard the scripture? Okay, well, here it is then. What's, what's the offense then? If those two things, we've got to defend against hypocrisy and defend against legalism, what's the offense that we have to use? And it's very, very simple, so simple that it seems difficult, and it's faith. That's what it is. If you read Galatians and everything I've read, Paul says, but faith, you know, by faith. This is the gift that we have, believing. Look at Galatians chapter 3 with me. Verses 23 through 28. Galatians 3, 23 through 28. Before this faith came, Paul says, we were prisoners in the law. We were held captive by the law. Locked up until what? Faith can be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Jesus or until Jesus came that we might be justified then by faith. That's justification, not from the law, but from Jesus. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. We're no longer under its burdens or requirements. And you know last we talked about the freedom of obedience in the Spirit, that we can walk in the Spirit and fulfill the law. This is the gift of God to us, that we live this out. Um, verses uh, 26 through 28. So, you then are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You and I, co-heirs with Christ. For all of you were baptized into Christ, who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. It's no longer us. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, because you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. He's making an argument here, a legal argument about the law, and heirs according to the promise given to Abraham. You and I become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, look at verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. Paul says this, It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, and not just when I'm with you. Now, th that's what I was telling you, right? 
so how has faith solved this problem? Look at what he says in, in 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And then he says, how I wish I could be with you that you could change. I changed my tone because I'm so perplexed. But I, I want to say, because this is antithetical to hypocrisy and legalism, and here's why. Because you have to believe the gospel for yourself. The the, the Sacrifice Jesus made is enough for you to be free in Jesus. But you have to believe enough for others too. And that should wipe out the legalism argument. That, you know, and I know, and Paul says here of this, that they're like children of his, and he's in childbirth. I don't know if you've seen childbirth, but it's painful and it's a mess. And I don't think Paul's, Paul's saying, I want so badly for you to know Christ fully. I'm again in labor for you as in childbirth. But you have to believe. You have to live this in faith. And we, as followers of Jesus, have to believe that the gospel is enough for others too. I've said that before, but I mean it for our children. So how do you stop being legalistic with your kids? You have to believe the gospel is enough. You have to trust Jesus with them. You have to believe he will save them. You have to let them live that out. I hope that makes sense to you. we have to believe it for ourselves and for others. I love that analogy he has. How badly do you want? I don't know if there's anyone in your life that you want to see come to Christ so badly and you're just so frustrated. You're like, it's never going to happen, you know? But that's Paul's experience here. He's like, oh, how badly I want this formed in you. I want Christ fully formed in you. But in the end, Paul does what we all must do and he trusts Jesus uh, to do the work. So then, ending where we started, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free in chapter 5. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised or anything else, Jesus plus, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey all the law then. If you're going to do anything right of yourselves, you must be righteous completely. You are trying to be justified by law, and you've been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from the grace that is found in him. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. But it's faith expressing itself through love. And, and that's how we're to engage with others. Um, I, hope, I hope that's made sense to you this morning. Uh, I pray that, if, that we at least hear that today. And I do, I'm not being minimalistic here. I do think that many of us will have an opportunity today. Today, 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 you're going to get to live out your faith amongst your friends and family. Today, you're going to get to hang out. Just do some hard work and cast off hypocrisy, you know. Do some hard work and move away from legalism and just live in faith for yourself and for others. Maybe you're here this morning and you go, man, I don't know, dude. I've heard this stuff. I, the gospel of Jesus, I've heard it before, right? There's nothing else like it that will set you free. There's nothing. There's no way to be free in this world. There's no other way. And the beautiful thing about the freedom in Christ is that it frees us from our past and it frees us from our sin, but it frees us from all those expectations that everyone puts on us and we can just live in Christ. That's a beautiful, sacred place to live. And I I really do hope that you would live there in your life as well by the grace of God and in his leading and not my prompting that we would all live our lives there.
as we, who is your faith in? Are you counting on yourself to be good enough? Or do you know you're not? Do you believe the gospel of Jesus? Or maybe you're here today and you need to repent of hypocrisy and legalism. Maybe there's been some people you're trying to impress around you. You're trying to show them how good of a Christian uh, you can be or, or how good Christians are. Trying to right all the wrongs of the world and not trusting Jesus. Maybe today you just need to receive faith from him, no matter what. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me, if you would. Uh, Father God, today, uh, I am so um, blessed by you. I'm so in awe of your gospel, and I'm so overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit in my life, and it's not because I'm special, Father. It's because you intercede for us through your grace and mercy that we do not deserve. Um, We come to you today with open hearts and open minds, and I don't know where everyone is in this room. I'm not you, but you're you, and you know where they are. I pray, Father God, that you would do a work in our lives that would be of you and not of man, that we would be fully submitted to you in every way in our lives. I do, I pray so much, Father, that we would cast off these things that Apostle Paul warns the church against. Help us not be hypocrites, Father. I mean, really, help us not to pretend that we're somebody we're not. Help us to be willing to just be honest, be real with each other in everything. Help us to avoid those legalistic traps. But here's the thing, like help us embrace faith. And I know there's a brother or sister here today who says, man, I want to believe so bad, but I can't. I, I, I pray you would help them with their unbelief. Help them to believe. Move them toward yourself today. And not for my pleading or my pleasure, but for yours. Would you uh, save souls today? Would you help us to reaffirm and reapply the gospel in our lives? that we could live a life of freedom in this world. Um, freedom and obedience to you, and freedom from all the burden of our sin. Uh, authentic faith. We pray that you're glorified. Uh, we pray, Father God, that uh, you would teach us as we move forward and as we respond even today. In Jesus' name, amen.